big brewer. <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You can't handle the truth. Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. Come on, Chancellor. Reverend David Kind. How are you doing today, Dave? Great, Marcus. How are you? I am doing fantabulous. Now, you have been up at the University of Minnesota. How long have you been there now? It's going on 18 years. So I came here in uh, 2001. Yeah, it's been a good run. I am proud to say I'm, I am now the longest-serving pastor at my church. Wow. I finally outdid Professor Plus. Wow. <laughs> so now you guys uh, starting up the school year. I'm bringing you on. We're going to talk a little bit about the Book of James, which you're doing with your students. But real quick, you guys, you guys have a building program that is going on, and many of our listeners maybe are, are aware of the situation going back. Uh, I think it's fair to say there was some some uh, issues between your congregation and the district. Uh, the building ended up getting sold, and uh, you ended up with your new Luther house, which you've been in. How long have you been in that house now? Uh, we've been there since 2012, so going on seven years. Going on seven years, while you have, for the most yeah. part, been uh, worshiping at uh, the local ELCA seminary. No, that's right. It's it's. Uh, we're looking forward to having our own our own place again. But finally, and, uh, your whole yeah. build it back campaign. You uh, had a little extra space. Um, well, tell how how did you get the idea that maybe you had space next to the Luther? Have you <laughs> bought the, You started off buying the house. Right. So we bought this house so that we would have a, a footprint on campus because our congregation decided early on that we didn't want to just be another church in the city. We wanted to stay campus ministry, which is sure. our roots and our passion. So we found this uh, old sorority house that uh, had historic designation so none of the developers could tear it down and build something else. And uh, we were, we were uh, blessed to have the money on hand to buy it. Um, and lo and behold, it came with a parking lot. And I'm sitting on my, at my computer desk one day looking at Google Earth at the old chapel, and I, I pick it up with my cursor, and I move it over the parking lot. I'm like, hey, this fits. We can build a church here. Really? That's how you, you put two <laughs> and two together? That's how it started. That was, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, and since then, we bought uh, more property adjacent to it so that we could build a church and a parking lot. Um, and things are really moving ahead. It's, it looks like a church building now, even though it's not fully enclosed yet. But we're hoping that uh, by the end of spring uh, or sometime in this summer that it will be done. And uh, by the fall, we'll be you know, fully operational there with church services again on campus, um, which would be great. This, and you're only, you're only, what, a couple of blocks away from where the old place was? Yeah, we're a block and a half from the old place. Well, even though it has taken taken the better part of a decade, right, altogether? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in the end, um, grateful to God that uh, congregation has been able to uh, survive. In fact, you've you've you're, you've grown, even though you've you know it's it's been tough. I'm sure to have worship, you know, 15 minutes away or whatever from where you're at. But your worship numbers have actually grown over the years, even though you haven't been there, haven't they? Yeah, our, our numbers of people in church, our giving, our number of students, everything has grown, uh, which is miraculous. I mean, you can really see the Lord's hand in all of the things that have, that have transpired. 
Um, and you mentioned at the beginning that this came out of some difficulties with our district. Even that has changed. Where seven years ago there was a turnover in district leadership, and the relationship has been fantastic ever since. Right. So and, it's uh, amazing the way the Lord works. Sure. And of course, uh, I just did a show with Marty Marks from Northern Illinois University on the uh, healthy benefits of pastors taking a sabbatical. And he is currently serving, this is like three months ago, he's currently serving a sabbatical in New Zealand. Turns out you're going to have nice. one too coming up, and it happens just happens to be the summer when your building's going to be dedicated. Where are you going to be? Yeah, I'm going to be all over Europe uh, studying traditional church wood carving, starting in England and then spending a couple of weeks in Germany, a couple of weeks in France, and about a month in Italy. Did you leave some things off the building uh, prospects <laughs> so you could come back and uh, do some master woodwork in the building? or, or the, Dude, it's, you know? it's like my blank canvas. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't finish that. Well, we could put in some cab. No, no cabinets. No, seriously, exactly. are you, are you going to do some things? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you are? Okay. I mean, the things you're joking about are things I've said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you well enough. I'm not surprised. Okay. We actually have have plans for a, a beautiful, uh, what's called a reredos, a piece of furniture that goes behind the altar. Uh, we had a small one donated to us from another church that closed, and we're, we're expanding that. And I've got a fantastic artist in our congregation who's going to do a Reformation-era style triptych painting. I think it's going to be like 10 feet by 5 feet. And I'm going to do all the woodwork around it. Okay. So that's the first project. So that might take a few years, though. Yeah, that'll be a few years down the road, but it's already in the works. Yeah. Uh, where can people go to keep up the date and, and maybe if they want to give towards the project? Yeah, we actually have uh, pages on our website, ulcmn.com. And if you just go to the top of the page, there's a, there's a section that says uh, support, and there's another section that says construction. Okay. And uh, if you click on the one, obviously it takes you to a giving page. If you click on the other, it takes you to a page that has the design for the chapel, uh, fairly up-to-date pictures of the construction process, descriptions of where we're at, what's going on, that sort of thing. Well, wonderful. I encourage all the listeners to check that out. Uh, this is one of our flagship campus ministries and always has been. And uh, this is uh, um, it's just wonderful. I, I truly look forward to, to being able to be there uh, for the dedication and to, to rejoice with you and your congregation and your students. So, well, good. We're coming uh, on you being there. So, well, I'll, yeah. I'll be there. So, the book of James. But, you know, why the book of James? Why now? Uh, what's the, the backstory with how you picked this out this spring? Well, we, um, we started a Bible study on, on James just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it, it all began in my head with um, uh, questions that some of my students had regarding James, because they were involved in a Bible study through Campus Crusade during the week, and uh, were actually group leaders for this Bible study, and they kept running across things that they couldn't figure out. Um, and uh, they come to me, thankfully, with the questions. And, uh, sure. you know, I thought, this is confusing enough for people to understand uh, that we really ought to do a study, not just like a verse-by-verse verse going through the Bible, but actually look at just what are the issues around this book and um, what makes it so confusing? And, you know, really the question, does it even belong in the Bible at all? Um, well, so James has been littered been with on. questions. There's all pro- I mean, there's probably all sorts of questions you have to tackle. How many, how many, how many big questions are there that you can kind of oh. identify? Well, there's, there's, first of all, there's a question of who wrote the thing. Um, you know, what standing has it had in the church? Uh, there's doctrinal questions. Uh, the big one being, 
the doctrine of justification. Are we, sure. are we justified by our works, like James says, or are we justified by faith uh, in Christ, by the grace of Christ, which is what the rest of the Bible says? Um, which is, in great part, why a lot of this led to Luther early on questioning its uh, relevance as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Luther famously called James a, uh, a straw epistle um, because it, he just said it doesn't have anything in it of the gospel. Um, he, he didn't think it was a bad book to read. I mean, it teaches morality and, uh, you know, a good deal on, on how we should care for one another and such. But, you know, it really doesn't say much about Jesus. And it doesn't say anything about his death and resurrection and his ascension or much about forgiveness of sins. Um, and then that whole issue with, you know, what is this about works in relation to justification? So all of those things sort of raised red flags in Luther's mind. And, you know, he didn't reject it out of the Bible. Uh, it's in the Luther Bible. He translated it. But he did basically say, you know, if you've got to study a book, there's a lot of better ones to read. <laughs> but he did he did come around a little bit later on. It, 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 but But for the very reason that you want to provide that context to your students rather than just going through verse by verse gets to the point of why you have to get the context of James right to even begin to understand it, right? No, that, that's exactly right. Um, because it is, it's confusing on its face so why when you, you read it in light of the rest of the New why Testament. Why don't you take us through, um, let's, let's walk through these. Why don't uh, you start us off with the, with the, first, the first issue, the main issue? Like, like, why is it in the Bible? Is that, yeah, that's the first okay. one, right? Sure. Um, that's a, it's actually a good question because it's not in the earliest listings of biblical canon, of, of the, the lists of books of the Bible. Um, and uh, the early church fathers basically didn't quote from this book or use it in church until you get into the third and fourth century. Hmm. Um, so it's it's just not around um, and not referred to. And now, now the church father Eusebius, the historian, uh, talks about this a little bit. And, uh, you know, he has good things to say about James, and he thinks it's legit. But in the end, he, he has to say, you know, people question this book, and it's questionable whether or not it should be part of the canon or not. Um, and Jerome, you know, a century later, does the same thing. Uh, so, you know, that question, is it, should it be here, is a big one. And normally, there's there's at least... Four things, I'd say, that we look for to determine whether or not a book of the Bible belongs in the Bible. Okay. The first one is, uh, who wrote it? Okay. Um, it has to be someone who is either an apostle or really closely connected to the apostles. So, you know, most of the, letter, uh, the New Testament is written by apostles. There are a few books that aren't, like Luke, right? Luke wasn't an apostle, um, but he was you know, right there with Paul throughout all the missionary journeys and such. Uh, same thing with Mark, uh, who was close associate of St. Peter. Um, and then you have a couple of books where you go, ah, I don't know if these guys qualify. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Well, even like Mark, uh, I mean, people kind of view that as Peter's Peter's yeah, gospel. Yeah, that's Peter's gospel, Mark, right? Yeah. And they say Luke is basically Paul's gospel. Right. So... But then you get these books like Hebrews, where we don't really know who the author is. Uh, James, where the authorship is questioned. Jude, um, 
revelation where some people have said this wasn't by St. John the Apostle. Um, and uh, historically, uh, we have a category for these books. They're called the antilegumina, which is a, a fancy Greek word meaning that they're... It sounds um, like a soup in Europe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of beans, right? Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all that means is that there have been words spoken against it. Um, so it doesn't have the universal consent of the church from the earliest times that these books are legit. And James falls in that category because we're not sure just who the author is. Um, most people, and I would be included with in this, believe that this is James who's listed as the brother of our Lord. But the book of James doesn't make that claim. Uh, it simply says James, uh, a slave of Jesus, of God, uh, to the you know to the twelve tribes that are scattered, uh, that doesn't tell us who James is. So why would people have assumed it was James, the brother of our Lord? It well, we get this. Give any internal hints to it? Yeah, we get this basically from from Eusebius, uh, the church historian again, uh, who says that this this James was uh, the one called James the Just, uh, who was the bishop of Jerusalem, uh, the guy mentioned throughout the Book of Acts and a little bit in in Galatians. Um, so it's it's basically through history through the historian that we say that this is the guy, but then others have said it's not him at all, and some have identified you know up to I don't know seven or nine different Jameses in the New Testament. I forget what the number is. That was um, a popular name. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but you know, Jacob, it almost right? seems like like he didn't feel the need like with some of the 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 writings of Scripture in the in the New Testament. You know, they they all start off, you know, I, Paul, blah, 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 blah. But who could get away? Who would have enough clout? What James would have enough clout to say, hey, I don't even need to tell you who I am? Well, that's the argument, right? Because he's the bishop of Jerusalem. Right. Everybody knew who it was. So it was James. Everyone knows who James is. Right. Yeah. If you don't, that's, if you don't qualify it, it must be the James. Yeah, exactly. That's the argument that, that most conservative scholars nowadays take is look this is the only guy that we think it can be uh just based on that alone uh, otherwise what clout does he have to even be listened to right um, and then of course you have jude who identifies himself as the brother of james uh in his epistle um so again which james well it's pretty clear it's got to be james the bishop who is one of the one of the the uh, relatives of christ but that itself raises other problems. Okay. If, even if we think that it is that James, even if we could prove it is that James, there's a question of whether or not that James was really a Christian at all. Hmm. Um, and that comes from a couple of places. Uh, if you recall, Jesus didn't always have an easy time in his, in his earthly ministry. Um, and people were often trying to kill him yeah. uh, before, before the crucifixion. So there's this interesting passage in John 7 where uh, Jesus is, uh, decide, decides not to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. And then he runs into these four guys who are called his, his Adelphoi, which could be brothers or cousins or something like that, relatives. Sure. And, uh, you know, the previous passage says he did not go up to the feast because the Jews were trying to kill him. And his brothers say, why don't you go up to Jerusalem? If you're legit, show yourself. And the intent is... They want him dead, hmm. you know, and James is in that list of guys, as is Jude. 
Um, so you have somebody who during his you know, pre-resurrection ministry is rejecting him and, and basically you know, hating on him enough to say, go get yourself killed. Uh, and now we're supposed to listen to him? Right? I mean, that, that's an issue. Um, and then the other issue is that uh, when you read the book of Galatians, uh, and this gets to the doctrinal issues of the book of James, actually, that uh, Paul has this run-in with Peter over whether or not Gentile Christians have the same rights or the same status as Jewish Christians. And uh, so these guys come from Jerusalem, and basically they're, they're Jewish Christians coming from Jerusalem to check out what Paul is doing with his Gentile mission, right? Mm-hmm. And they basically stir everything up, and Peter goes along with them, and now all of a sudden Peter won't eat with the Gentiles because the Gentiles are eating things the Jews think are unclean. And this is all tied in with the issue of whether or not you have to be circumcised and, and that. So that really whether or not you have to be a good Jew in order to be a good Christian. And Paul, of course, uh, you know, shows his manliness by standing up to all of them in public, even Peter, the chief apostle, right, and calls him to repent. Says, you know, if if uh, if you have to live like a Jew, um, you know, this this isn't the gospel, guys. This is this is the law. And uh, the the issue there is that the guys that came down from Jerusalem to stir this up, Paul says these men were sent by James. Mm. So was James the instigator? of what the early church called the Judaizing heresy. This idea that to be a Christian, you had to be a Jew or become a Jew and still keep, you know, most of the ceremonial laws. Um, so these are, these are some pretty big questions around the person of James. But we more Both. or less come down on <clears throat> the notion that this is the brother of our Lord. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, and, and likewise, that he's not a heretic. Right. Um, but, but real quick, we just got three or four minutes here left. Um, oh, that's it. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so can I just say real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Paul, Paul clears that very issue up in Galatians and then in the book of Acts. James is the one who makes it clear that you don't have to do all of these things. Okay. Sure. So evidently these guys claimed authority from James. They maybe were his emissaries, but they were teaching something he didn't teach. And, and the early course, church fathers you know, if you tell were, us if you were trying to, uh, they could be, they could have been using his name to, uh, hey, you know what? Well, James himself told us that we should come tell you this. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the problem. And then regarding whether or not he was really a Christian, uh, Eusebius quotes one of the early church fathers who says that that Jesus actually appears to James and converts him after the resurrection. And this is kind of backed up by what Paul writes, where he said that James, that Jesus appeared alive to the apostles and to James and last of all to him. Sure. So, so we have biblical evidence for this fact that Jesus showed himself to James, uh, which I, you know, if he's still an unbeliever, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's get in the little remaining time we have left here to uh, kind of, kind of the, the, the next to the authorship and who wrote it, whether or not she, the whole question of works. Yeah. As you know, a lot of people, lo- Oh, they love James. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> um, right. So how should right. how should so, how, how should we how should we approach that? What's what's that controversy about? And give us a a simple way of understanding how we can uh, view the book of James so we can feel better about it. Yeah. Well, so the controversy on its surface is uh, James basically says 
if you don't have good works, you're not really justified. And we can see that you're justified by the fact that you've got good works. Right. And he says, if you, you say, show me your, my faith and I'll show you my works, but you show me your faith without works. So he says, uh, faith without works is dead. Right. And, and by, and the, the real key here is that you show you're justified by works, which seems to contradict what Paul says in Romans three. And frankly, what the rest of the Bible says, right. uh, you know, where Paul says, um, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And then Paul goes on to give the example of Abraham, who he says was justified uh, not by works, but because he believed God. And then James gives the example of Abraham, saying we see that he was justified by his works. So they seem to be just like, you know, punch for punch at one another over this issue of justification. You so keep, it's really, you keep saying seems to be. Uh, that's right, because it's an apparent contradiction. Um, and But it's what people see, right? Because right. on the face of it, that's what you see. But when you actually look at the text, um, you'll notice that throughout James, he uses evidentiary language. We see that a man is justified. You see, therefore, right? Those sorts of words. He doesn't talk about the cause of justification. He talks about the evidence of justification. Right. Okay, so that's the issue, whereas Paul is talking about what is the cause. So when you recognize that they're talking about this same issue from two different perspectives, one from how am I justified, the other from how can you show me that you're justified, there's no longer a contradiction there. Because Paul also says that faith produces works. Make sense? That was... That was as beautiful and succinct as I think you could get on that topic. <laughs> you hey, said Dave, three let's, let's clear this up in a minute and a half. The entire history of the church is concerned about this. You know, but you th- when you think about real quick, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, in Matthew with the sheep and the goats and their works, our works being, or in the Athanasian Creed with our works being brought forth, that gets more right. to the site as well as logistically uh, you know, the timing is everything about when those works are brought forward, right? And- exactly. Exactly. If they are brought forth apart from Christ, they do you no good. You stand condemned. But when they're part brought forth as evidence of the fact that you are in Christ, the only works that are seen are the good ones. Um, and uh, that's why the saints, you know, in that, in that separation of the sheep from goats are kind of surprised. They're like, when did we ever do this? Right. You know? Uh, whereas the you know, the ones going to hell are like, Hey, come on. Yeah. When did we ever not right. do what's right? And, of course, the answer is, well, there's a lot of times when you didn't. So what encouragement uh, would you give to those? I mean, obviously, you're having a one. I mean, great encouragement is everybody go to the University of Minnesota for Bible class with Pastor Kine Ooh. and his students. But if you can't, what other encouragement can you give to people that read the book of James on their own? Because in, in reality, if you do understand it right, it is a great book of uh, encouragement and and in terms of uh, a reminder of God's grace, even though it seems to be talking about works. Yeah, I think I think the encouragement is, um, first of all, be, you know, be careful about reading the language of the book, that you actually pay attention to the words, um, not just to, to the general look of the sentence, but what do these words actually say? Um, and once you do that, things become a lot clearer as opposed to just trying to figure out what's the idea. Um, the other is, you know, make use of your pastor. Uh, he's trained in these things, and um, you come across a passage that, that is difficult to understand, and there's several of them in James. 
uh, go to him and say, hey, pastor, um, I don't get this. I think the worst thing you can do is, uh, you know, turn to, to sort of self-help type stuff that popular Christians go out and, and pop publish where they tell you, you know, follow James and, and do all of these works and you'll be saved. Um, there's just a lot of confusing material out there. Well, and of uh, course, if you stick to the, you know, get, get yourself a copy of the Lutheran Study Bible. Um, yeah, and that does a great job on this book. D- David Scare, uh, one of our, you know, one of our former profs that wrote, wrote a wonderful, uh, fairly simple to read commentary, James the Apostle of Faith, I right. think you can still get from CPH. So there's a lot of really wonderful works in that regard. Yeah, and I've, I've given that book to several people to read, and uh, it's been helpful to, I think, all of them. Well, Pastor Kind, thank you for uh, catching us up to date in terms of uh, you and your congregation and your building program. We're excited for you. Um, God's continued blessings as you walk through the book of James with your students and with all of our listeners. So we encourage you to read the book of James uh, yourself. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun, Marcus. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.